0: It's too late, Kruger. I know the secret now. This is just a dream.
1: Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
0: Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, producer, writer, and host over at Collider, co-host of the Top Ten, co-host of the Geek Buddies, and proud host of the Deep Cut, and, of course, loving being a co-host of the Cinephiles, and excited to, to do our annual...
1: Halloween movie, Steve. Most people know that this is not either yours or my favorite genre, right? And so it's always with a bit of trepidation that I enter the world of a scary film. <laughs> yes. And you know what I have to say though? You know, we talk about entering the world of a great film, and I have to—I haven't watched this movie in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe I'll answer answer the question I always ask you first. Okay, is is how I came to this film? Go ahead. This is one of those movies that I really—I know I didn't see it in the theater. Yes. I know that I watched the whole thing Mm -hmm. at one point or another. Right. uh, End of high school, early college, sort of that age. But where I really saw it was it was one of those movies that was always playing in the background at the party or at your friend's house. Yes. You know what I mean? So I saw scenes of it over and over and over again or came in the middle or watched the end and got, was watching it and then got distracted because there was a cute girl I wanted to talk to or something like that <laughs> but then I was too scared of talking to her so I went back and watched the movie but then I got scared <laughs> of the movie and then I was just really trapped so I went over to the you know eat some uh, Doritos or something like that sure, that was sure. maybe I revealed too much about my childhood but like but but the the number of times I actually sat and watched this whole movie beginning to the end are very very small yeah. hadn't looked at it again in a long time I'd seen a few few of the sequels and watched it a few nights ago. And I got to say, I was kind of disappointed in it. It was not as... I I remembered liking it more than I did this time. So while I think this is an important movie and an influential movie in a lot of ways, and this is one of our big slasher guys along with Jason and Michael and Leatherface, like Freddy Krueger, is huge. I didn't love it as much as I thought I was going to when I sat down to watch it.
0: Yeah, I have to be, uh, I have to agree with you. I think it's not one that uh, holds up in retrospect. And a lot of people probably listen to this getting very, very offended. That being said, Freddy Krueger is fantastic. And regardless of what the very dated 80s look of the film is and the 80s approach to horror is, uh, and when you say groundbreaking uh, I am going to have to be convinced of that like in my, in my opinion it's did I don't remember it if it was groundbreaking or I didn't feel gra- it doesn't feel groundbreaking until I don't think it's filmically
1: groundbreaking right. at all like right. I don't think that's I, I mean in terms of entering into a slightly different world of horror yes. that's what I Well would that's say. fair yeah. absolutely yeah and it did and Freddy is if there's any reason
0: to watch this film it is Freddy Krueger it is Robert Englund's performance as Freddy Krueger and Heather Langenkamp is fantastic as well but Overall, and of course, you get a little Johnny. Overall, though, um, I do think the film is kind of dated not as interesting or as fun as some of the actual... Some of the installments, actually, that come after this, especially uh, Nightmare Mm -hmm. on Elm Street 3, 3. which I think is
1: fantastic. Dream Warriors. I haven't seen seen it in a long time, but that's my memory. That's by far the best one. Right, right. Um, uh, A little bit about Wes Craven, because this is our first time going into a Wes Craven film. Oh. Um, He was raised... In a fundamentalist family, unsurprisingly, <laughs> his mom told him that movies were the devil's playground. As well, they are. He didn't really watch them. Actually, his mom was totally right. <laughs> um, and what's he had? A, he had sounds like a pretty scary dad with a pretty explosive temper, and he didn't start watching movies. It wasn't when he went into college, he actually went into college, graduated college, started teaching college, and only then did he start watching movies. So he's in his late 20s, starts watching movies and goes, oh, this is what I want to do, quits teaching college, moves to New York, and tries to figure out anything he can do to get into the movie biz, and he's working as assistant editor, he's working as a PA, he's working everywhere around, every kind of low-budget film, commercial, industrial, everything he could do to be in the film world. He's hustling. He is hustling like crazy, and then he gets, uh, a, just someone says, hey, why don't you write a scary movie? Which he doesn't know, it's not like he was into scary movies. That was not his... Thing, not yeah. his goal. And yeah, writing scary movies. The first one he directs is The Hills Have Eyes, um, and uh, oh, I'm sorry. The first one he d- directed is Last House on the Left. Yeah, Last House on the Left. Followed by The Hills Have Eyes. Man. Um, and he started to get a notoriety as a as a scary movie director. And and he someone said, okay, well, what are you going to write next? And he read an article in the New York in the L.A. Times about these refugees coming from Cambodia and Laos, where there were these young men and these families. Who are afraid to go to sleep. And several apparently in the late 70s, early 80s, there were several incidents of the family saying, please just go to sleep. You'll be okay. And the guys are literally chugging coffee and taking no because they're having nightmares because of the, the traumatic experiences they had mm-hmm. in uh, their home countries. And several of them finally did go to sleep and never woke up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it was those stories that gave him the idea for A Nightmare on Elm Street. That's genius. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, no one wanted to buy this movie. Um Disney Disney said we will buy it but we would like you to make it much much softer and turn it into kind of a young adult teen kid thing that'll be much more warm and fun and sure there's a bad guy in the in the but it's not a horror film and he's like no I'm not going to do that A Bad Dream on Elm Street A Bad Dream on, <laughs> Yeah A Slightly Uncomfortable
0: Dream on Elm Street A Terrible Nap on Elm, Elm Street Um one thing I want to throw out to you, when you mentioned this idea of the uh, Cambodian immigrants and yeah. have you, like, I wonder if you want to revisit The Killing Field someday. Because that is one 1980s film, Brother, that I never, ever saw. And Sam Waterston is, in fan- is apparently fantastic in this, and obviously Hang S. Noor won the Oscar for it. And I have never
1: seen it. It is, I have seen it once. Okay. It was really good. Yes. It was hard. Oh, you know, it's a brutal film. Maybe, uh, maybe we should do it. Oh, it's oh yeah, it's a brutal film. Oh, Oh, definitely. Okay. I mean, because I have very little memory of it. You know what I remember more is is I remember uh, swimming to Cambodia. The um, oh the Spalding Gray one. Spalding Gray because that's his stories about being having a small part on that movie. Really, I'm pretty sure. I had no idea. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Um, well, maybe I'll do a double bill one day and watch both of those. I movies. love okay. that. Swimming to Cambodia is an unbelievable okay. one-man show. Okay. Well, maybe maybe this is something we're doing next. All right. So it's a mo- and you know what? Something we talked about. I have seen it, but I don't have any memory of it. Yeah, so yeah. we're talking about going into a movie that neither you or I know well. We've talked about doing that a bunch of times. Yeah. Maybe that's what we'll do. That'd be fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, It'd be fun going into that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joy. <laughs> Um, so he's trying to sell the film, and he takes it to Paramount. Paramount really wants it, except they're developing another movie about dreams in the early '80s. And he guesses what it was? Brainstorm. Dreamscape. Dreamscape. Yes, the Dennis Quaid. Dennis one. Quaid, which I watched a bunch and thought it was awesome. Not
0: gonna lie to you, there's a really interesting scene in that movie. There's a bunch of stuff that scared the crap out of me in that when, movie too. What was it a 13, 14 years old? Was it? Coming, uh, 94? I think it's. Uh, uh, it's 82 or 83? 82 or 83. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a scene in that movie, because I remember seeing and there's like a sex scene in that movie that I was, mm-hmm. I remember as a young newbile boy
1: going like, oh my God, that's hot. So that's um, what I remember that movie And from. it has the guy, it has the, uh, the bad guy is the warrior yes. come yeah, out, and dude. Pl- who's also in uh, 48 Hours. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes, All right. But we've really digressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember Dreamscape? That's what I'm talking oh, about. No, do you remember Brainstorm? I I don't know if I ever saw it. I remember the walking Natalie yeah. Wood. It's the I one can she remember died the commercial. On. Yeah, uh, but I, I I don't remember the. Movie.
0: That was great. I love that. Like uh, these early eighties kind of weird exploration of the brain type movies. Yeah, that altered, altered states, states. Yeah, yes,
1: altered states altered also freaked me out. I would love to do altered states. I haven't seen it since since the eighties. We're just doing eighties retrospective for like three months I don't know we've gotten all sorts every once in a while this weird pushback that they don't like a couple of people who do not like the movies that we've been doing lately yeah yeah and and you know, we're gonna do what we're gonna do. <laughs> like like we done we've done yeah. Buster Keaton, we've done the third man, we mm-hmm. done, you know, and sometimes it's gonna be altered states yeah. or dreamscape. Let or, us
0: enjoy let us have our choices yeah. too.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and, but seriously, folks, if yeah. you really don't like the movies that we're doing, there's one solution to that, which is visit patreon.com/slash the pay some money, support the show, give us your picks. Those are the things we take most seriously, just like we took this pick seriously from Sean Higgins. Thanks again, Sean. Thank you, Sean. So uh, then finally, the one person that seems to be interested in it is Bob Shane, who's the head of New Line. Yes, New Line. And New Line, at the time, has never made a movie. They are a distribution company only and a a small distribution company out of New York, and this is the movie that makes New Line. Bob Shane somehow gets $1.8 million together. They start to cast the film. They go with some of the interesting people, by the way. David Warner was who originally was going to play Freddy Krueger.
0: Oh, wow. Good yeah. choice.
1: Yeah. David Warner, remember in
0: Time After Time, he was yeah. great. Jack the Ripper in Time right. After and Time. Right, and he's in Star Trek VI, which we yes, talked about is. Uh, is. as
1: well. Counts for uh, Gorgon. Um, and, um, and just as they're about to shoot the movie, they've gotten their locations, they've cast the whole film, the money totally falls through. Oh, wow. And Bob Shane, at the last minute, manages to raise the money. Like, literally, they're going to shut down the whole thing, and he manages to raise the money to make the movie. So he's... In a lot of ways, the hero of this.
0: Wait, let me ask you something. Yeah. Do you have any background on the casting and how they found Heather or anything like that?
1: I have a little bit. Okay, a little bit. Let's get that real quick and then we'll jump in. Okay, sure. I was gonna I was gonna wait and get to it in a minute, but oh, but okay, that's okay. I apologize. No. Uh, so Heather, uh, what's her name? Langenkamp. Langenkamp. He was looking for someone who was really strong, mm-hmm. and really all American and not Hollywood at all. And audition. It sounds like he auditioned all, hundreds of people, and there's rumors that people like Courtney Cox auditioned, that there's all, like the whole cadre of young women in the mid 80s came and auditioned for this, and he picked her, she had actually, she was a student at Stanford, and dropped out for a year to do some acting, and it's funny, I listened to the commentary track, she is really smart. Yeah, she is. She is, and she's very cool. I like her quite a bit. The other story I know is the Johnny Depp story, Ah. which is Johnny Depp, had no intention, my understanding is he was in a band and he goes with a buddy who I believe is Jackie Earl Haley. Oh, wow. Who comes to audition for this movie. And he's, I swear to God, this is the story that I've heard. Yeah. And I don't have it 100%, I know he went with Jackie Earl Haley, is that he was literally doing the thing that all actors have fantasized about, which is sitting in the room and his buddy goes in and auditions and comes out and the casting director looks at him and says, are you an actor? Yeah. And he goes, I guess. And that is how he and, and apparently there were a bunch of other young heartthrobs up for this part. And Wes Craven took all the pictures home and they were named people. I don't remember who right, they were right, right. and said, Well, I probably should cast this person and his thirteen year old daughter looked at the headshots and said, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp. <laughs> and he went, Okay. Wow. And that is and this is his first film. And how ironic that decades later Jackie Earl Haley would reprise the role of Freddie Krueger I know in the remake. Right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, and so, speaking of the movie, shall we get into it? Yeah. We're following some person mm-hmm. doing something in some kind of a furnace, boiler room place, <laughs> and we hear the breathing, and we, he's cutting some pipe, and he's welding, and then we see those knives going onto the fingers, and the fingers going onto the gloves, and we see that hand. <laughs> and that is the opening of A Nightmare on Elm Street. then there's a young woman in white um and that's amanda wiss amanda wiss yeah amanda wiss and she's also in better off dead oh that's her that's hilarious um and she walks down a hallway and there's water on the ground and there's dripping and she's running it's backlit she's scared and we hear this voice and we hear these whispers and she turns and looks and we hear this breathing and we see a goat Mm-hmm. <laughs> very odd sort of moment. And we go into this basement. Apparently this basement is the furnace room of the Lincoln Heights Jail, just east of here. And it is a very creepy F looking that place. noise. Apparently it is was so covered in falling down asbestos that this place, its building's still there, or was still there 10 years ago, yeah. has been condemned and no one is allowed in there. And that is where they shut. But it is a really creepy I mean, that is that place. They didn't dress this very much at all. Um, And there's red backlighting, and we see a figure in the distance, in the shadows, lots of steams, and we hear noise on the pipes, and we see the fingers, the blades, shred through some fabric. And then we see a little bit of that hat. That hat, by the way, was apparently some old dude scared Wes Craven when he was like eight years old, (laughs) and he wore that kind of hat. And that is why that hat is what Freddy Krueger wears. That makes sense. Yep. And he disappears and then she walks forward and then he reappears behind her, screams, wakes up. Ah! And this is our opening of a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. What a uh, great beginning. It is. It is a genuinely great beginning. I wonder, like, what what is the greatest nightmare wake-up screaming cut in the history of the film? There there was one in a movie, Mm. literally, really recently that we just did, and I can't remember what it was. Okay, Um, but it's it is a it is a trope in films. Oh, it's just a dream. Oh, we had it in Apollo thirteen. Yeah, when she wakes up because she's had the dream about the uh, about the spaceship being destroyed before they launch. Um, Yeah, good point. There's a crucifix behind her. Mm. Mom asks if she's okay. She says it's just a dream. Ooh, that mom. That's an eighties mom. It is, she is so problematic. And and she's, uh, so one of the interesting, again, this goes to the tropes, the, the the things we talked about. That We talked about this a year ago when we did Halloween. Yes. Is there is these tropes, and one of the tropes is the disconnected parents. Yes. Is that we're in suburban America, and your parents cannot be trusted. And this particular one is horrible. She's got some scummy boyfriend who kind of pulls her back, and she obviously doesn't care about her daughter at all. Nope. She looks down and sees that her nightgown is shredded. Um, And she grabs that cross. Religious paraphernalia does not apparently protect you from Freddy Krueger. It does not. No, this is not that kind of movie. Nope. Someone has to tell them that that's vampires. Right. It's not dream demons. That's not going to work here. Not devil demons. And then we hear uh, uh, this nursery rhyme. This shot's actually kind of a complicated shot because it's we see the little girls that are playing on the seesaw or whatever, yeah. and there's uh, a diffusion on the lens which makes everything look kind of foggy, mm-hmm. and we're in slow motion. And then as we move over to the car, we ramp up from slow motion to regular speed. So there's one dude on the camera who's changing the speed of the camera while another person is operating the dolly. Another person, the, the first AC is handling focus because every time distance changes, we have to change focus. Right. And then there's another person who pulls that diffusion off so that whole foggy look goes away. And then we dolly over to the car where we see uh, uh, Nancy, our main character. We see Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. We see um, Tina is with them in this this old cool 50s convertible. And then we dolly back and there's even a zoom in this shot. So, so there's actually a whole bunch of stuff going on in terms of filmmaking. And this is where we hear Tina talking about our dream.
0: It was the worst nightmare I ever had. You wouldn't believe it. Matter of fact, I had a bad dream last night myself.
1: And then up comes some jerk of a guy, which is Rod, whose name I don't have here. Right. And he immediately starts making jokes and harassing Tina. And what I had forgotten is that's actually her boyfriend. Yeah. I thought he's a jerk, because I hadn't seen the movie in a long Mm -hmm. time. And I went, oh no, this is the jerk who happens to be her boyfriend. Yep. It's later that night, we're back at Tina's house, mom is out of town. There's some gag about a tape deck that's going to convince Johnny Depp's mom that he's actually at his cousin's at the airport or something. It's kind of cute. And then as we talk more, the subject of the dream comes up and Nancy says...
0: That's amazing you saying that. That made me remember the dream I had last night. What'd you dream? I dreamed about a guy in a dirty red and green sweater. Well, what about the fingernails? Oh, he scraped his fingernails along. Actually, they were more like finger knives or something. Something he'd made himself. They made a horrible sound. It's like, scream. Nancy, you dreamed about the same creep I
1: did. And now, of course, one of the things about horror films is that you're always ahead of the characters. Yes. Because you bought a ticket to the horror film. They don't know they're in a horror film until we get to Scream. Um, but so we go like uh, you're having the same dream. It's the bad guy. It's real. You're gonna die. Mm-hmm. And they go, huh? That's weird. <laughs> and even Johnny Depp looks up when we hear about the dirty red and green sweater. Like, wait, what? But before we can get into that, we hear something outside. Yeah. What do we do in a horror movie when we hear something outside? Go take a look. I best, we gotta go take a look. Yeah, get better. Investigate. Go outside. Think you know, calling for a cat, making some noise, and then what happens is Rod, the kind of jerky boyfriend. Totally blindsides Johnny Depp, knocks him down, (laughs) uh, grabs Tina, covering her mouth, drags her into the house. She says, please help me from this lunatic, but then laughs. And only then do we go like, oh, that's her boyfriend. Right. It's a nice swerve for what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which will also be some swerves. <laughs> yeah, true. And one of the other interesting things, of course, is we're going to have a couple that goes and have sex, and we're going to have another girl who doesn't have sex. Mm-hmm. And the virgin girl is another horror movie trope. Absolutely, that she's the one who's who's going to make it. Sex is not going to be a good thing for you. This is what's
0: fascinating about it, and I think this is interesting to me about the horror genre because you know there are a number of, and especially over at Collider, right? You got Perry and Haley and a number of people who love horror movies, right? right. Clark Wolf um and I always find this fascinating because they're also very powerful They're very uh, strong feminist women they're very yeah. much about representation very much about respecting women in 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 the media and in the film but for some reason horror movies get this incredible pass uh from some of these female critics who love horror movies and I I want to understand why because like they're very exploitive of the female body you don't see many penises in if any, in 80s horror movies, it's almost all these nubile women, and they're all having sex. Um, you definitely get shots of the breasts, and then sometimes you get them in the, in the intercourse. You get scenes of them in the intercourse, enjoying the intercourse, uh, and then they're killed. Yes. Right? Uh, like Lori in Halloween, not killed. Uh, here, Heather Lange camp throughout, she survives. Yep. Spoiler alert for you, haven't seen a movie. Uh, but this happens throughout. So I wonder, and this is one of these subtle things. Well, because the... Laurie and uh, Nancy, they don't have sex. Right. And this is what I'm saying. This is one of the interesting subtle things about these horror movies from this time and maybe into the 90s is this idea of the virginal one is actually the hero of the movie and it's ironic because horror movies are liked by rebellious people, yet these rebellious people are the ones having sex and would probably be the first ones killed in a horror movie.
1: Well, So I find the the irony or dichotomy of that really interesting. So here's what, this is, I'm happy, I, I didn't love the movie as much as I had right. hoped that I would, but I'm happy that we're talking about it for exactly this reason, which is that yeah. there seems to be something profoundly culturally important about particularly the from Halloween through the 80s version of the horror slasher film, yeah. is, that, is that there seems to be a rejection or a, uh, an internal struggle with American values on some interesting fundamental level to me. Yeah, because yeah. We, got, we got Wes Craven, who has a fundamentalist upbringing, you know, in which he was told that movies are the devil's playground. Right. And we also have, this is, this is our generation, the, our generation is the kids. I'm not that much different in age mm-hmm. from Nancy and these other people. Cause this comes out in 84 right. In 84 I was 15, Yeah, you know? So, so this is really our generation. We're generation X mm-hmm. and that there's this generation of baby boomers and silent generations that are raising us and they're doing a terrible job. That's what these movies are telling right, us. Right. And that the morality that they're supposed to be imposing on us is failing. And that the people who are then using the openness the freedom that they've gained post the sexual revolution are exploring that and and they are now being punished. Yeah. And they're and also their parents who are supposed to protect them from the things that they don't understand, they are not there. Yep. You know. And so there's like this really interesting generational shift that seems to be happening that uh, cuz I agree with you. It's like, well, what are we saying mm. here? Mm-hmm. And and of course, I, I I don't want to put too big a thing on it because I don't think Wes Craven or John Carpenter and Halloween are saying a lot. I think they're here to scare you. Yeah. But it also goes into what scares you. And, and this is the thing. So I, I think the concept of Freddy Krueger is way scarier to me than Michael mm-hmm. Myers or Jason. Sure. Because, because the thing about this is that this is your mind. Right. It's your mind that's scary. It's the idea, like I'm way, if if we suddenly said like, I can't know what's real yeah. and what's not real, or if I close my eyes, I might be killed, Well, that's
0: scary. Absolutely, and this is why Freddy is my favorite Me of too. this time, over Myers and over Michael Rather and uh, whoever else you wanna throw out there. Because even Leatherface, Leatherface yeah. is realistic. Leatherface is an actual human being that right. you can actually kill, right. right? Whereas Michael Myers is some kind of demon entity or something. This is something else because this can come at any time that you close your eyes. And one of the most essential things that human beings need in life is sleep. So there's no escape from nope. Freddy. Whereas Michael Myers, you can try to escape throughout your life. Maybe you can find a moment. Maybe you can find some hours to get some sleep somewhere, and you're fine. But this is pervasive. And it's also exactly what you said, Steve. There is no greater horror than our mind, and there's no greater thing that can
1: put us into a state of terror like our mind. Well, and I'll tell you something else, is that I've never actually had a crazed, unstoppable serial killer (laughs) in a hockey mask coming after me. Yes. But I've had a nightmare. Yes. And I've had nightmares where I couldn't wake up from the nightmare. Yeah. And I've had, I mean, I've had nightmares where I was, you know, shot in the head or stabbed. You know, like I've had scary nightmares. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I used to have I used to have, um I don't it hasn't happened very much anymore. But the thing where I i think I'm awake and I think I see something outside. Yeah. I mean Karen is can tell you like I've gotten up it you know and been ready to fight. Like like I need to get a weapon and protect my wife. And then I and Karen's like, what's going on? And I'm like, shh and then oh no I was dreaming. Wow. You know, that that hasn't happened to me in a long time, wow. but it's happened to me, you know? And yeah. so like that sort of, you don't know what's real, you know? And I think most humans have experienced, at least to some degree, yeah, some of that. I have the night terrors yeah, where I am awake, but- Paralyzed? Yes.
0: Yeah. That is the worst thing in the world I've ever experienced because that is like, I finally, I think recently, was able to move my arm- one time, yeah. in all the times that I've had night terrors, and it's usually when I'm really, really tired. Right, I don't just have them randomly. But I will say I had a nightmare when Lindley and I first started dating, where I thought a spider was attacking me, and apparently I was having this nightmare, and Lindley woke, was trying to wake me up, oh. and her hands, her arms, waking me up, I with, thought with were spider, spider, spider tentacles, yeah. and I punched her. In the shoulder really hard. Like I bruised her shoulder, which was uh, there for a week. And I when she woke me up, I felt absolutely sure. terrible about it and was so apologetic for days afterwards. But it was but it scared me that I could have a dream like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well you could
1: react to it. I I, I apparently once elbowed Karen in the head. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was super hard. Yeah, right. But like I think I just went, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, well, have you ever listened to uh, the Mike Babriglia? Ber- I've never seen the Sleepwalk with Me movie, yeah, but he does the whole monologue was on This American Life. Oh, uh, and he's a sleepwalker and tells yeah. these, tells multiple stories yeah. that are insane. Riley
0: um, uh, at work, Mark Riley, he is a sleepwalker, yeah. he has smashed his face up sleepwalking off windows to the point where they, ha- they have to like safeguard certain yeah. things when he starts to walk. I think. I might be wrong, but this might be true. I think he, Julie sometimes ties her le- her ankle to his ankle, so when wow. he starts to get up to do sleepwalking, she wakes up with him and like makes sure he's okay.
1: So that's great. Well, and this goes back to the thing of like the Freddy Krueger, like someone attacking you through your dream. Right. That's scary. Yeah. You know, it is a genuinely scary thing to me because you can't control your dream. Yeah. No. Um, well, maybe you can. <laughs> Um. So we're, we're done with the sex with Tina and Rod. Seemed to it seemed to go well. Yeah, sure they both they seem happy about Tina it. Tina seemed very happy. About uh, Johnny Depp and uh, listening to the sex downstairs. They weren't. They weren't so happy about it. Right, super frustrated. Um. Nancy is down in Tina's bed where that crucifix was on the wall. It's yeah. fallen down, and then we watch the a face appear in the wall behind her and stretch out towards her. And then just as she looks up and retreats back in the wall, she touches the wall. It's solid. Yeah. it's really nice. And do you know how they did that? No. Apparently in 1984, there was this brand new material that was very exciting called spandex. Oh. That is a spandex wall. Nice. Um, Upstairs, Tina hears a noise. Rod, did you hear this? He doesn't wake up. He's snoring. here's something at the window. Goes to the window. Little pebble hits the window. And then another one hits the window. Breaks the window. And she decides, as you do, to head downstairs yeah. and go outside. This is what Eddie Murphy talks about in his bit. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> that white people will like to run to this stuff. Black people will get the hell out of the house. <laughs> I would have been in the house and said, Oh, baby, this is beautiful. We got a chandelier hanging up here, kids outside playing. It's a beautiful neighborhood. We ain't got nothing to wear. I really love them. This is really nice. Get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and she comes outside and we hear Tina she walks down we see a garbage can roll down the street and then we see freddy with the super long arms oh, yeah. It's so people cool. People love this effect. I didn't think it looked so cheesy. <laughs> I really was like, I remembered it scaring me when yeah, I was young. Of I was looking at it now and this is I mean, it's a really low budget 80s movie. Yeah. The way they did this, there's two guys with fishing poles on the garages <laughs> on either side of the alley that are just holding up the arms and moving them with their fishing poles. It's <laughs> very funny. very uh expensive. I do love that the 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 fingers scrape uh sparks on the walls. Yeah. And freddie chases her. It's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, she runs through the gate. He appears behind the tree by just sort of magically appearing. Um, and it is, I do it to say, the fact that we don't have the giant person like Michael Myers. We have, you know, Robert England is yeah. really interesting and different. Yes. And then he cuts off some of his fingers, which squirt out sort of yellow green blood. He grabs her, she wrestles with him, she rips off his face. Mm. One of the ideas Wes Craven has, we said, you know, all these other guys, Michael Myers and Jason, they have masks. And he wanted Freddy's mask to be his face. Yeah. That's where the burned, scarred face comes from. It's like, oh, the mask is his face. And all they did here was they took the Freddy mask and they put it on a doll's face, you know, a mannequin face. And then they covered the mannequin face with KY jelly and just slid one mask off and now you have the thing <laughs> underneath. And it looks really creepy and gross. Um, Up in the bedroom, uh, Rod wakes up and hears screams and there is some crazy struggle going on in the bed. Ah! Ah! And he gets her with his claws and we see her skin rip open and start bleeding. This is where they got into trouble with the ratings board of just how much blood we could see. Oh wow. and then she is lifted out of bed and spun around up to the wall, up to the ceiling, rod from down on the ground, is looking up as she slithers across yeah. the ceiling, and it is really intense and freaky looking.
0: It's so funny because like poltergeist was what? Two years before this or uh, I think So yeah, eighty two. And, and we Good had right. Joe Beth doing the same thing in the last mm. attack from the poltergeist. I have no memory of poltergeist at all. What? Yeah. Really? I think I saw it once. I because I didn't watch scary movies. I don't think we can wait a year to talk about poltergeist. I love okay. poltergeist. We talk about it maybe down the road, but we, right. Yeah, that I mean that film is so so good. It still holds up. Craig T. Nelson and Joe Beth are incredible in that film. But yeah, she, that's one of the sequences as well. And of course, the first time we saw this was the Fred Astaire Fred style. Astaire, yeah. So and to see it being used in this way,
1: and it's so well used here. It's interesting that I hadn't thought about I didn't remember that it was in Poltergeist. Yeah. Because the other movie that it's in that we talked about is Close Encounters in the truck. Oh, right. Is that he spins around in the truck. And yes. It's the same effect. And so He's I wonder. He's so helpless in that truck, yeah. And, and I wonder, because Spielberg, you know, there's all the r- rumors that Spielberg really kind of shadow directed poltergeist. Yeah,
0: Toby Hooper sing.
1: And and the uh you know, now Wes Craven sees it and they did the, the cheapest version of it they possibly could. <laughs> um and she falls down just huge amounts of blood. And of course now uh our other kids Johnny Depp and Nancy they run up to see her and all they see is this horribleness in the blood and Rod has disappeared. Poor Rod. Poor Rod. John Saxon. Yeah man <laughs> He was the name dude in this movie. Of course. Yeah. John Saxon was big in the 80s. was. It's so funny because for me, it's just Enter the Dragon. Yeah, right. Like, I know I saw him. I think he's in, like, Electric Horseman, and he's in some other, yep, yep. like, random things. Yeah, TV series, too. What TV series was he?
0: Oh, God, are you asking me to remember? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm sorry. Hold still. Oh, it's no, not the Schmodown. Keep it's not. talking. Okay, yeah, I'll right, keep exactly. talking. The Schmodown of TV. No, you're right. Okay, yeah. What? No, I'm wrong. I He had been in a bunch of movies... And he'd only been occasionally in some TV shows, so that's my fault. Yeah, I thought he'd been in TV series, but oh yeah, yeah, I thought he'd been in TV series, but he was just uh, as guest stars in these.
1: just a regular guest star in yep. all sorts of stuff. Six Million Dollar Man, of Wonder course. Woman, Rockford Files. Yes. Yeah, yep. Those are all the shows. Gunsmoke. I'm sure there's a Love Boat in there somewhere. There was a f- six episodes of Fantasy Island. Six. <laughs> oh, got a lot of. Oh fantasies. man, so many shows that I should never watch. 'Cause I watched them all the time. Love Boat though,
0: still. That's a good one. Does it I love Love Boat. You've watched it recently? I have. Every once in a while. Wow. Yeah, because um would you say to me once you said when you said I was an honorary Jew, like I love the catskill stuff. And so sure. to me going back watching Love Boat <laughs> is like going back and watching all those uh, old performers that I loved growing right. up. Right. So I love watching. Well, the they all sets. show up.
1: They do. That's what I love about plus, it. Plus Jimmy J.J. Walker. And, of course. And Charo. And, Charo is always and on the love always boat. Always on the love boat. The best. All right. Um, and we hear that uh, mom, he's, he's the local sheriff or lieutenant, or he's the cop. And we hear a little bit that Tina's mom has disappeared to Vegas with that creepy guy that she was with. Huh. Dad has abandoned mom. And they kind of go, well, this looks like a rape and a murder. And their yeah. boyfriend, Rod, they had a fight, and this is, must be what happened. Um, and, and now we find out that Nancy is John Saxon's daughter. And she's like, no, that's not, that's not right. Yeah, they had a fight. Right. But this isn't, that's not what happened. He didn't kill her.
0: You know, Tina, she dreamed this was going to happen. What? She had a nightmare that someone was trying to kill her. That's why we were there, Mom. Regina didn't want to sleep
1: alone. (laughs) We're back at Nancy's house, and this is shot in West Hollywood. This is on Genesee. Oh, wow. And this is apparently there are pilgrimages to Elm Street from fans and have been forever to this one block in West Hollywood. Oh, my God. And it is a very Midwestern looking block. We hear a news report that, the, that everyone's searching for Rod, and now we meet Mom, yeah. which is Ronnie Blakely, yep. Academy Award-nominated actress from Nashville. Oh, the Altman film, yeah. So I, you know, I watch these commentary tracks, and this one happened to be, it was Wes Craven, it was um, uh, uh, Heather, it was the DP, it was John Saxon, nice. and you could always hear little weird things. Every time the name Ronnie came up, they're like, oh, Ronnie.
0: Really? So I get the sense.
1: Yeah. Like she showed up with different makeup every time, and that I get the sense she was. She was not in the same movie as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it kind of shows. But it also adds a, a, a
0: kitsch element to the film that helps, I think, maintain its <laughs> legendary status. Because she is this crazy alcoholic. Yeah. Weird, disconnected, odd mom. She seems like a
1: groupie from the 60s who's like all of a sudden has a kid. Well, here's the thing. So, so. You've watched more of these movies and know them better sure, than I do. Sure. I don't know them at all. And I'm sure if we had one of these you know, fans who really know this stuff, they would mm. be able to explain all this to me. But the backstory of this makes very little sense to me. Okay, And so it's, well, as we get to it, yeah. I might have a few questions I wanna Sounds go Sounds good. Um, and we kind of find out that I don't think Nancy slept at all last night and she's gonna go off to school. And she says, I'll sleep at school. And she heads off and of course as she's walking, there's creepy music. And then she looks back and sees a dude in a suit watching her which I think is Robert England. Yeah. And then he disappears. I don't quite understand what that is there. And then she gets grabbed by Rod, still with a bloody hand, hiding in the bushes saying, I didn't kill her. I never touched her.
0: You were screaming like crazy. There was somebody else there. The door was locked from your side. Don't look at me like I'm some fucking kick or something.
1: He's freaking out. He's freaking out. And then there is... Dad, John Saxon, with a gun on Rod because he followed Nancy, used her to get to Rod, and he, Rod starts to run away and she steps in front of the gun. Yeah. Which is a really scary moment. And then the police are there and they grab him and they arrest him. Right. And she's pissed at Dad.
0: Daddy, you used me. What the hell were you doing going to school today for anyway?
1: Off at school, we're having a report on Hamlet and there's some talk about the grave diggers and then what's so weird is then she asked the guy to get up and read from Julius Caesar. And it's like, why are you, weren't we just talking about Hamlet? Oh, it's weird. And it's because he wanted these lines that are from the Julius Caesar monologue. Mm-hmm. And Nancy starts to fall asleep. And to me, these are the scariest things in the movie. Yeah. Her starting to fall asleep. Yeah. It's not what actually happens in the dreams that are as scary. It's the watching her sl- eyes slowly close. And you're like, don't do it. You feel helpless. Just like, stay awake. Yeah. You got to stay awake. Yeah. And I love one of the things they did. And this is where I don't think the movie is amazingly great. But what I really like is the mix of you don't quite know when it's real and when it's not real. Right. Is that it's not a hard line between she's awake and she's asleep. She's asleep and things, we start to hear the voice slow down and then we look over and there is Tina, bloody in a body bag. Yes. And now she looks back at the dude reading Julius Caesar and his whole manner has changed and it's much creepier. Oh God,
0: I could be bonded in a nutshell and call myself a king of infinite space.
1: She follows Tina out into the hall and then she follows the blood trail, sees the body at the end of the hall, Tina? which then, by invisible hands, essentially gets dragged off. Very, very creepy. And there is the hall monitor, <laughs> a woman in the uh, red and green sweater, and says,
0: "Where's your pass? Screw your pass.
1: She goes down some stairs, and we're like, "Don't go down the stairs." <laughs> Ends up in this boiler room. The, some of the music is some of the music is good. Yeah. Some of the music is man. There's some eighty synth. Apparently, the composer who is um, Charles Bernstein—I think it is—and okay. I don't know if he's related to an Elmer or it's a Leonard Bernstein stepson. <laughs> um, and he—they had no budget. He's like, "Well, maybe I could just record all the instruments myself in my house," and that's how ah, they did it. Ah, perfect. Um, and there's some music that's like straight out of a video game. Yeah, that goes—it sounds like like laser beams, and you're playing Space Invaders or something. And there is Freddy. And he, she says, who are you? And he cuts open his chest to reveal some maggots and nastiness, <laughs> and she opens up a curtain to to go somewhere, and then she decides to go back, opens up the curtain again, and there's a wall there, so that's not gonna work out, there's no way out. We see the claws, he's coming forward slowly, she yells that it's only a dream, and then she burns her hand, on purpose, yeah. I think, on a pipe. To wake her up. It wakes her up, and she is screaming like crazy. Yeah, In the middle of class, yeah. yeah. And the teacher's just trying to settle her down and get her home. And then what does she say to him as she leaves? You're gonna need a hall pass. (laughs) One thing I do like is as she exits the school, which is actually the school, is right over here in Silver Lake, John Marshall High School, which is also the school in Greece. And it is the school in, I forget what other movie. There's another big Hollywood movie. Okay. But I can't remember which one. It's not sixteen candles, but it's it's around the same era. Okay. Anyway, I love that we sort of see there's a burn on her arm before she notices that there's a burn on her arm because this is one of the key things in the Nightmare on Elm Street world, which is that things that happen in the dream can come out of the dream. Yeah. Um, Is it The Breakfast Club? Is that the no? That's a different. No, Breakfast Club shot in Chicago. It is shot in in Illinois, Illinois. Okay, all right. Shermer High School. We're at the jail and Nancy's talking to Rod. we we'll are hear a little bit more about what happened. And it
0: was dark, but I'm sure there was somebody in there, under the covers with her. How could somebody be under the covers with you guys without you knowing about it? How the fuck do I know? I don't expect you to believe me anyway.
1: And then he says, you know, they talk about the wounds. He said, I saw them happening. It was like four razors cutting her at once. And Nancy looks up. And she kind of is backing out of the room. And he says, you don't believe me? And she's like, uh, and she says, no, I believe you. Mm-hmm. And she leaves. Because she wants to get the hell out. Yep. Because Nancy's starting to figure it out. I think she really is a good hero. Yes. I think she's a really great hero. Yeah. She ne- she never is kind of backing down at all. Yep. Considering how messed up her mom is and how distant her dad seems to be. Which, which kind of makes sense that they would have a daughter like this because...
0: That's a survival tactic that she doesn't back down, and she has to take care of everybody else, right? Because her mom is that way, and her dad is that way too. Absolutely, like the way that they are, yeah. she has to fill in the holes right. that yep.
1: they can't provide. Well, again, this is the you know this is the generation of Latchkey kids, right? You know, right. Um, born to the generation of hippies. Nancy, yes, mm. Nancy, John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the cinephiles' new sponsor—an absolutely incredible game.
0: Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this
1: event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Pete decides to take a bath. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, this scene. I love this scene. This is the the shot of the claws yeah. as she starts to fall asleep coming up between her legs <laughs> oh. in the bathtub is a great shot. A lot of symbolism there. There's a lot of dirtiness, violence, mm-hmm. scary violation and it is done very quietly. Yeah. And I think it violates the rules of the movie. Oh. And here's why. Proceed. Everything in this movie is the things that are happening are happening in your dreams. Right. Nancy doesn't see that claw come up between the bath her legs in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. We see it. She is unaware of it, so it isn't ha- it isn't something she's seen in her dreams. It's something that we're seeing while she's asleep. Good call. So it's it it's not a criticism in any way. It's just like something fundamentally is different happening, and the timing of uh, hearing mom's voice, Nancy, are you okay, and that hand going back down yeah. is great. So here's how they did it. They took a bathtub. They cut a giant hole in the bathtub. Yeah. They built a giant water tank under the bathtub. And they have the guy who is the main um, uh, effects guy. His name is Jim Doyle, who built all this stuff. Yeah. Just hanging out under the water with the claws. He doesn't have scuba. He doesn't have anything. He just comes up for air and says, okay, Jim, get a deep breath. (laughs) He gets a deep breath, he goes ah. down, and he's listening for a loud Wes Craven saying action to lift his hand up and then to take it down. It is the most low-tech, but kind of awesome, you know. That's, that's how you awesome. do it. Yeah. And that is also how they pull Nancy down through. It's just pulling her through a hole oh. in the in the tub. Right. And then we end up underwater and it's just at a swimming pool somewhere that they covered in black plastic. And they are shooting now in scuba. Wes Craven's in scuba. Yeah. He said it was scary as hell being in the black. Of course. Under the water. This, by the way, that scares me. That's like one of the real fears of mine. Oh, let's hear that, what is that? So I'm a very good swimmer. I grew up swimming a lot. I'm very comfortable in the water. There have been a few times where I've had to be in a river or somewhere like Mm -hmm. where I've swum under something. You know, like swum under a dock or something like that. Is that the idea, like you read like the fantasy novel where, okay, we have to swim through this underground tunnel and we have to hold our breaths and where they get past the point of no return. like. I cannot hold my breath long enough to swim back. I yeah. can only swim forward. That is one of my biggest fears. Wow. Because it makes, I'm a little claustrophobic. Right. And so like the in the dark, underwater, holding your breath, that seems scary. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Although when I did scuba dive. Do- I was just I- gonna ask you, yeah. So I'm scuba certified, and when I've scuba, that doesn't scare me that much at all, but I've never gone to a cave dive. Ooh. I don't need to do that. Spelunking. Have I told you the Hoover cave dive story? Oh God, no. What? So Hoover has done everything. Yes, you know. of course he has. So, so he was exploring underwater caves and he was doing it alone, which seems, I mean, there's a, there's, the way they're doing it is as low tech as you can imagine, which is they have a line mm-hmm. and he has, um, he's just following the line into the cave. The line leads back and that's how you find your way back out because it's pitch black. Yeah. And the thing is, is at the time, because this is the seventies, the flashlights don't have very long batteries. So what he said you would do is you would only turn them on for a second, kind of get your bearings and then turn them off. And when you turn them on, your eyes are so used to the dark that it's your eyes take a second to adjust and you turn them off because you don't want to waste the batteries because you don't want a dead flashlight. So you're just feeling your way through the blackness. And then he feels as he's moving forward, he feels the line gets stuck and it now has slack because it's gotten stuck somewhere. Right. And he doesn't want to pull it to free it, because if he pulls it, he will break it. He could break it. And if he breaks it, he's going to die. Yes. And so he finally, and the blind has slack in it now, so he can't just lead his way back. So he's trying to, in the dark, gather the, the line, and what he said is, of course, the thing you most wanna do is turn on that light, but the light only has limited battery, and so he can only turn it on a few times. So he ha- he said, it is the scariest moment he's ever had, of that line, ga- and this is a guy who has literally wrestled a bear, right. you know, climbed Everest and done every crazy thing you can imagine, and he says, that moment, feeling the slack in the line, realizing the line was caught, yeah. and that he would have to find where it was caught, uncatch it in order to make his way back, in pitch black underwater in a cave is the scariest moment we ever had and i heard that i'm like fuck yes that's the scariest thing (laughs) but we digress yes then mom comes in and wakes her up and she manages to escape and she does not tell mom what she just experienced she said oh she just you know fell asleep a little bit right and later she is not wanting to go to sleep she grabs some no-dosy kind of pills out of the medicine cabinet. She's staying up late watching, it seems like, scary movies on TV, which might, by the way, be Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. Oh! Because apparently Sam Raimi yeah. and Wes Craven are buddies, and okay. they each put a poster of this in, in the background of their scene, and the poster of the other movies in Evil Dead, and mm. things like that. Um, and she turns off the TV, because she hears Johnny Depp at the window. There's her boyfriend Glenn and he climbs in and and they kind of talk and he asks him, you know what she did to her arm and she talks about how she burned it right. talk about the weird dreams and he says he slept like a rock is he lying uh i don't know i don't think cuz it seems like he's having some of these dreams right so is he like I don't know. I was just wondering if he's having more dreams with Freddie that he's not saying. Right. Maybe. And it wouldn't surprise me
0: because he's a young male and he wouldn't admit weakness. Uh, But he also seems very
1: unconcerned. Yeah. So I don't think Freddie's targeting him. Yeah. Fully. And because she, he thinks that Rod killed Tina and that's all it is. Yeah. And she says.
0: I'm going to go and look for somebody. And I want you to stand like a, a sort of a guard. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> By the way, what do you think of Johnny Depp's performance in his debut film? I mean, I can't really judge it to be honest
0: with you because I think he understood what he was in. And if he's if he's a, if he's really the story you said, which is he's in a band and he only got chosen because he looked good in the uh, in the yeah. uh, uh, waiting room, then I don't know what kind of level of acting talent you you're expecting from him. But clearly, from this experience he wanted to do it so he you know eventually became this really incredible actor uh and then became this 90 or this uh, icon for Car- the pirates of the caribbean but there was a time in the late 80s and all through the 90s where Depp was considered one of the best actors because of his independent work
1: he 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 at a certain point from Edward Scissorhands sort of on mm-hmm. turns in one fascinating performance after another. Yeah, and I, and and here like if you there are perform there are young breakthrough performances of actors in first movies where yeah. you go oh this is someone to be reckoned with right this is not that no like this is yes I understand why he ends up on Twenty One Jump Street right you know what I mean he's like still he's, building yeah. Yeah, yeah but there's some certain moment where he goes because what's really interesting about his performances is that he really goes for weird shit yeah. and, and and comes up with a completely interesting way to play a part, and here he's just playing the part as it was written. Yeah, you know?
0: he's collecting the paycheck.
1: Well, I don't even know it's that. He's doing the job that he's required to do. No one asked him. Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. with the paycheck thing. Um, and she says that my life might depend on this, and you can't mess it up, and then she turns off the light, and he's being like... Oh, it's dark. Hey, I'm in the girl's bedroom. No, that's not. I know what you're thinking. And we cut to outside, and Nancy walks out of the house in her pajamas. And what's cool is we don't know if she's awake or asleep. Right. You know, and she walks down the street looking around and calls out for Glenn and says, Are you still watching? And he comes out of the trees. So is she awake or asleep? I love this segment. Uh, I think
0: she's asleep. In, I think she's asleep. I think she's
1: asleep, but I think she's talking in her sleep. And I think he is sitting next to her. Yes, and says, "Yeah, I'm right here." Yeah. And in her dream, she constructs him coming out of the tree. Exactly. Which is a cool little segment. Yeah. And she sees a door with a red light, and she walks up to a door with broken glass, and looks through it. And again, you know, we know what's going on here. We hear the breath. Right. She she looks down, and suddenly she sees Rod in his cell, and in walks Freddy Krueger. By the way, did you notice they mostly call him Fred Krueger in yeah. this movie? Right at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, Freddie kind of goes through the bars in a classic, you know, sort of effect. Mm-hmm. And she calls for him, she screams, she tries to wake Rod up. Uh Rod wakes up, and then there's Tina in the bloody body bag, yeah. and a centipede comes out of her mouth. It is nasty. It is. So, so apparently uh Amanda Wiss... Uh, Wiss She didn't quite know that some of the stuff that she was in for, (laughs) and this was rough. I mean the uh, the centipede that it's two shots. So one is her real face with a fake rubber centipede coming out of her mouth, and then there's a mask with the real centipede coming out. But then the the like snakes or eels or whatever the hell are at her feet. That's just her. Wow, you know, covered in that stuff. Yeah, pretty nasty. She still does conventions and stuff. Oh, does she? Yeah, yeah. It? She's great. Still beautiful, too. And now Nancy is going, Glenn, <laughs> wake up, wake up. And no Glenn. Because well, Glenn's he- asleep. Here's Freddie. And she runs back to the house. She runs through the door. The music is going. She runs up the stairs, which collapse into goo as she runs, which apparently is pancake batter. Um and by the way, when they're shooting this, they're totally running out of money. And Sean, what's his name? From uh, New Line, Oh, yeah. Uh is on the set going, You gotta finish, you gotta cut this scene. Yeah. And Wes Craven's way of keeping him interested, it's like, hey, this idea about the steps, this was your idea. Why don't you direct today? And has him direct that scene. So Bob Shea is directing this scene. Bob Shea is directing <laughs> maybe a little bit of this scene <laughs> to just keep him from pulling the plug. Oh, that's great. Um, and uh and Freddie comes in and uh, and Nancy's screaming to help me and she goes into her room and there's Glenn asleep. And she is saying, it's just a dream, it's just a dream. She's in front of a mirror, Freddie right. comes through that mirror, she fights with him, she calls for Glenn, he, she holds up a pillow, he slices it with the claws and then the alarm goes off and Glenn wakes up and she wakes up and there's no Freddie. Right. And she, I love it, she turns him and calls him a bastard.
0: <laughs> I just asked you to do one thing just stay awake and watch me just wake me up if it looked like i was having a bad dream
1: and then they hear mom's voice and glenn's got to go back out the window and we see that one feather floating in the air yeah um she's back at the jail she wants to see rod she uh in the cell rod is asleep and some sheets are starting to move around him and they reach up and they strangle him just as john Sexton and nancy come in Mm -hmm. and they find rod hanging dead which they think he killed himself right which I'm fairly certain he did not. No, There's something else going on. Uh, it's funeral. I love, I love that the priest says, he who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. It's like, what a dick. <laughs> it's like you just burying a kid and you're saying, hey. And this then, and this then, is then, small town America, Steve. And then the next thing he says is, judge not lest ye be judged. Right, right. It's like, what did you just say, dude? I think that's uh, Wes's little subtle shot at religion. Well again, I mean the you know you can't look at all these horror films without seeing, you know, some echoes of all of our religious past, you know.
0: Also him with his
1: fundamentalist past as well. Yeah. Nancy's trying to convince her dad that the killer that's not Rod
0: I don't know who he is, but he's burned and he wears a weird hat and a red and green sweater, really dirty, and he uses these knives like giant fingernails.
1: John Saxon says, take her home. And mom says, I've got something better. I'm going to get her some help and drives away. Right. Okay. Mom, (laughs) you sent something. Yeah. Just from the way you started. Yes. To be clear, if I understand the backstory correctly, Mm -hmm. mom and some other people killed Freddy Krueger. Yes. They burnt him. They burnt him. Right. Was John Saxon involved in this? I don't know if he was involved in it. Obviously, he didn't stop it. I think he was. There's moments later in the movie where there seems to be some acknowledgement that he knows. Plus he was married to mom. Yes, he was. One would assume that the murderer of 20 children, which is what Freddy Krueger did and his subsequent murder would probably be something that was well known. Yes. And certainly now maybe his wife never told him that she actually killed Freddy Krueger, but he would still know about they're the cop of the town. Right. Well, and the other thing is, how long ago did this happen? That's what I mean. I don't know if he was the cop of the town when this happened. She says, when she laid, we're going to get there, but I'll, I'll just yeah. jump ahead. When she reveals this thing about that she killed Freddy Krueger, she says, some of us parents got together. Yeah. She doesn't say some of us killed. I always assumed my memory of it was that she had been Nancy's age. Right. When this happened. No, no, the But she did says, it. parents. Well, if she says, that means Nancy was alive. Yes, and Nance was maybe five or six years old. So this happened 10 years ago. Right. You know, maybe 12 years at the most. Yeah. You know, so this isn't very long ago, mm-hmm. which means it, 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 this story doesn't quite fit. I just feel like he wasn't a part of it. Okay.
0: And the she said some of us parents got, she didn't say... Your dad and I got together with a bunch of other parents. She said some of us parents. Us parents. Well, so to me, that doesn't feel like her, her dad was involved.
1: But she just said in front of her mom, yeah. green and red sweater, dirty guy, burnt face, claws. Right. And her mom doesn't go, oh shit. Right. Her, her, or even say like, I know who that is. Her mom says, I'm going to get her some help and take her to the sleep institute. Mm-hmm. Because the problem is my daughter's crazy. She's having nightmares. The problem is not something else not yet yeah in her mind now mom seems to be continuously drunk so so the fact that she's not you know or high (laughs) there's a lot of stuff going on with it's not a good mom no i'm gonna say not a good mom yeah we're off to the sleep institute we're gonna do a sleep study with dr roger rabbit yeah charles fleischer Creepiest, one of the creepiest dudes, man. Such an odd man. Yeah. And this has got to be right when he made Roger Rabbit, too, because that's like 85. Oh, sure, it? sure.
0: But it's also right out of uh, Welcome Back Cotter. If you oh. remember, he was a he was a big part of Welcome Back Cotter. He was Balberine. He always hassled the Sweathawks. He was always the main villain oh, I didn't remember against that. the Sweathawks. Charles like Fleischer. It. Yeah. Go back and watch those old episodes. That's you, hilarious. you kids.
1: <laughs> Do you really think? of all the media available <laughs> to the young people today, that it's Welcome Back, Cotter. That Let she me tell you something.
0: Welcome Back, Cotter. The oh, I loved the it. Show.
1: I don't know that it is. I loved it when it was on. Right. John and, Travolta. Look, I loved Horshack. Ron Polillo. <laughs> I mean, and uh, Washington, and what was the other guy? There's, oh, are you uh, uh, Juan Epstein. Juan Epstein. Right. Yeah. Um, it's Puerto Rican Jew. Look, there's a lot of good stuff going on in there. I'm just saying. Um, so... <laughs> They're doing a sleep study. They put some stuff on her. He says, watches her go into REM sleep. Oh, she's starting to dream. It's going to go up to three or four. Wait a second. What's going on? Doctor, what's she doing now? Is she asleep or awake? Something's
0: wrong. It it never gets this
1: high. What's she doing? Is she dreaming? They run in to wake her up. She's freaking out. And they see now she has white in her hair. Mm Mm-hmm. That's yeah. an awesome scene. That's awesome. Right, and then he goes here. Let me give you something to help you sleep. <laughs> no. And what else does she have? The hat. Yes. So you can bring stuff out of the dreams. I think this is really cheesy and stupid.
0: What? I, mean, I just well, the scene.
1: It was, the scene. Oh, okay. The
0: but way it was, it's done. But it was already established you could because if Freddie could kill her in the
1: dream, that's essentially well, and if his she could get burned or if, if we could have the Nike on. I'm not exactly. saying the concept. I'm just saying the way this scene. Oh, done right, God. Well, it's just. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and mom is hiding another bottle of vodka. Uh
0: that's <laughs> like the worst mom.
1: She's terrible. Uh, Nancy is just drinking coffee because she doesn't want to go to sleep. Um, she wants to have dad examine the hat right. uh to find out where it came from.
0: John Saxon is perpetually con- um perple- he's perpetually perplexed. Yes. Uh throughout the whole movie about what's happening. Like he's just so behind. Everything that's happening until the very end—it's very
1: funny. And and mom is still debating with Nancy about whether or not this thing is real. And she's like, "No, I I, I have ah, a hat." Yeah. Like and mom knows the killer. Let me she ask, actually killed the killer. Right. Let me ask you something. Do you think this is where the alcoholism started? Yes, absolutely. When she killed Freddie. Yes, I think she's yeah. dealing with. I think that is the yep. idea. I think I, she's I agree never with
0: covering that. From that. Yep. Um, and now he's come for retribution.
1: Give me that damn thing. It even has his name written in it. Fred Krueger, Mom. Fred
0: Krueger. Do you know who that is, Mother? Because if you do, you better
1: tell me because he's after me now. And Mom just says, go to sleep. You'll feel better when you go to sleep. What a shock. She doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And she goes, well, or maybe I'll feel better when I jump into the bottle like you. And now we get the slap.
0: Fred Krueger can't come after you, Nancy. He's dead. Believe me, I know. You knew about him all this
1: time, and you've been acting like it was something I made up? And mom's like, you're sick. You're imagining it. Super betrayal by the mom here. Nancy and Glenn are on a bridge, and now, man, Glenn lays on some deep dream stuff because he tells her about the Balinese way of dreaming, where they can take control of their dreams and they actually learn that you know the energy they give to the demons in their dreams makes them powerful and she asks well what do you do if there's a monster in your dream and he says well you just turn your back on it and take all its energy away nice job Glenn too bad this is not going to work for you but it was still really really a nice job when there was a commentary in this scene do
0: either of them say that Johnny came up with this and installed it in them because it feels like something depth would come up with and have like, hey, I read this. This would be kind of cool to maybe say this in the
1: movie. I could see that. No, no one says anything like that. Okay. But but you could start that rumor right here on the Cinephiles <laughs> if you like. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you know what's really funny? There's stories that I have heard but wasn't hundred percent sure of that I've then repeated on the Cinephiles. Oh. Which now me you know I usually try to say, like I said about the Johnny Depp being in a band. Yeah. I believe I saw that when he was on inside the actor studio, but I haven't right. checked it. Um, but now someone will hear it from us and they will go out and that will be the truth. Yes. And that is fake news, ladies and gentlemen. Fake news. Yeah. She gets back to her house. House is covered with bars on the windows and the doors that man, they work fast. That's a lot of work. How
0: is she sober enough to even get this to happen? Well, and they lock from the inside, and yeah. she, she can't be trusted it's, with a key. It's way too complex for her to even come up with.
1: And mom looking just totally, Ronnie, I agree. Ronnie Blakely is in a totally different movie. Because yeah. her standing at the top of the basement door saying, Come down to the basement with me Yeah. is just weird. Yeah. And we go down to the basement, and she opens up the furnace, reaches into the furnace, and pulls out a burlap sack with the glove and the claws yeah now my understanding is that furnaces are filled with fire how is this burlap sack survived in there do they never get cold yeah maybe and she's this is where she says that we killed this guy freddy krueger that he was a child murderer yeah um and we took gasoline and poured it all over the places some messed up stuff and then she says so now you can go to sleep this is country justice so, so. by the way, someone's saying that the person that I've been dreaming of that's trying to kill me, where I get burnt in the dream, that where these other two people that had also dreamt of him are dead, and someone's saying, no, that's a real person who I, your mom, murdered by lighting him on fire, does not make me feel cool. No. Like, now I can go to sleep. Right. Uh, Johnny Depp is listening to music. And can we take a moment to admire the cutoff football jersey he is wearing, the bare midriff that is an 80s style that... Something Johnny Depp would never actually wear a real <laughs> It's It's great. And, and they're talking, apparently, they're in houses right across the street, which is actually where they filmed it. Ah. And they're uh, uh, talking, they make jokes about the bars. And then she tells him, you know, that about yeah. Freddy Krueger and that if he gets me, I'm going to be dead. Yeah. And that she needs, again, his help. I'm gonna bring him out of the dream world and you're gonna clock him with a baseball bat or something. I have no idea how this plan is gonna work when she is in a house across the street locked in with bars on the doors and windows. How is Johnny Depp gonna be anywhere near her to make this plan work? No, these is a teenager's man. Yeah. Um, and But he agrees and she says, you must think I'm crazy. He says, you are crazy, but I love you. And boom. Yeah. Which means I would still like to sleep with you. Right. So I'm going to tell you this. All, even knowing that that might mean your imminent death. Um, <laughs> True. And he puts his headphones back Some on. Some things are
0: more important than death, Steve.
1: Fair. <laughs> Particularly when you're like a 15-year-old That's boy. That's what I'm saying,
0: yeah. Uh, Risk
1: death for it. <laughs> Nancy's still trying not to fall asleep. She's taking her pills. I love mom comes in, gets rid of the coffee. She leaves, and Nancy pulls another coffee maker I don't, uh, that's uh, on out of some cabinet. That's awesome. Yeah. He, Wes throws in these funny little jokes throughout yeah. the movie that I think are brilliant. Um, and the plan is it's going to happen at midnight. The time is 11.42, um, and she's drinking her coffee. There's a little, one of our sexy moments is she takes her, we see her back. Her mm-hmm. bare back as she changes that is completely gratuitous, but yep. important for these kinds of yeah, films. gratuitous. And now we see that Johnny Depp's parents are sitting on the front stoop, looking up at Nancy's house with all the bars, talking about how crazy she is. Yeah. And she doesn't want that. He Dad, who's a fine actor, doesn't want <laughs> that, that lunatic around their son. Yeah, um, <laughs> Their son is not the issue. Nancy's wounds are still bleeding. I don't think I mentioned before that when she came out of one of the dreams, yep. she, has, she has some wounds on her arm. And she sees mom pulling another bottle of vodka out of the linen closet. Yes. And now she tries to call Glenn. Glenn's mom answers, says Glenn's asleep. Dad grabs the phone and says, you talk to her in the morning, hangs it up, and then says, you have to be firm with these kids. And then goes, as a matter of fact, and he put, takes the phone off the hook. Oh, big mistake. Nancy uh, tries to call again. Can't. And now the phone makes this really weird noise. Mm-hmm. So she rips it out of the wall. Very important bit of direction is that she makes, uh, West Craven makes her hold up the wire to make it very clear that the phone has been ripped out of the wall because at right. the next moment the phone rings again. Yes. And obviously we know this is bad. She picks up the phone, she holds it to her face and we hear. I am your boyfriend now, Nancy. And then. On the receiver. Yeah, the there tongue, but Suddenly a mouth and a tongue. That's so good. Apparently this is like the biggest scream in the in the movie. Oh. When they, when they first screamed. No, no yeah. surprise. Because it is weird and creepy. Yep. Here's the thing. Is she awake? No. She's asleep? Yes. This is where I go like, wait. But did she? So so maybe maybe because she's so exhausted. Yes. She hasn't slept in days. Yeah. And she's just having moments of out and in. Yes, that's what I think is happening. Yeah. She runs downstairs, but she can't get out of the door. mm mm-hmm. And drunk mom is just in another, you know, time zone. Yeah. Going, no, I locked it. I don't have the key. And uh, by the way, building a house where you lock yourself in is not a smart thing to do. It's an interesting situation. And we cut to Glenn. We hear the national anthem because it's <sighs> sign off, which is a thing that used to happen. And then f- he's asleep. And then Freddie's. Arms come out of that bed, grab him, pull him down in the hole, followed by TVs and everything else into this hole, and then blood shoots out of that hole and sprays the ceiling.
0: I feel like this is an homage to The Shining. It is. It yes? Is. Okay. And it
1: 100% is, that's what they were thinking.
0: Okay. yeah, And it is, to me, where this film, for just a few seconds goes next level. I agree. Because this is one of the scariest moments I've ever seen in any moment, uh, any film rather, because of Johnny's acting as well. The desperation. Yep. The fear, the sadness, the horror, all of it. It mirrors what happens to Quint when he has to kick off the jaws, sure. the shark until he finally bites him. Just the terror and the fear and the inevitability of it all. and then, And then just to... Punctuated after a pause, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. The long, the wait, a few seconds,
1: and then whoosh! All this blood—it just shows you that we're going next level now. And by the way, we're back on the same set where Tina is killed because mm. this is the rotating set. Oh. Because the way that they did this is that after you get rid of Johnny Depp, they rotate the set so the bed is on the ceiling, yeah, and they just pour two hundred and twenty gallons of blood down from the ceiling th- to the floor, and that's all you're seeing. Damn, and it looks horrifying and disturbing and great yep uh it's later the cops are showing up we get some jokes about buckets and never seen anything like that before and coroner's throwing up (laughs) in the bathroom and and john saxon is there um and nancy calls over because she knows what has happened and she's trying to tell him
0: listen daddy i've got a proposition for you nancy i'm gonna go
1: and get the guy who did
0: And I want you to be there to arrest him when I bring him out,
1: okay? And she says, come here in exactly 20 minutes. I'm going to sleep. And he says, yeah, you do that. Get some rest. Yeah. (laughs) Good job, John Saxon. Once again, two, three steps behind what's actually happening. And she goes, but you'll be here. And he goes, oh, yeah. It's a deal. Okay, deal. And then he tells his dumb other cop, go outside my daughter's house and see if anything funny happens. Tell me. So, oh, and one thing I didn't mention, when Nancy and Glenn are on that bridge talking about dreams, she yeah. also says, well, I've been reading about anti-personnel mines and, uh, you know, and intruder controls and all this stuff. It's like, really? She's like, because I'm going to fight back. And now we get to see our sort of A-team montage yeah. of her setting up the traps. She's like... Putting holes in uh, light bulbs and filling them with gunpowder. She's running wires. She's making poopy traps. She's doing all sorts of stuff. Yep. And then uh, uh, we're back to the crime scene, and you know John Saxon is looking at the horribleness there, and Nancy is with Mom, uh, who's saying, "Well, I guess I should have told you." It's like, "Damn right you should have told yeah, us." Yeah, right, exactly. And then just get some sleep. It's going to be okay. <laughs> like we're pretty sure that's not going to work. Nancy says, "I love you," and she says, "I love you too." Again, I think this scene is somewhat ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's really just kind of way off in the and part of it is just the Ronnie Blakely performance. Say, it's, it's just I think Heather's doing fine. She's fine. It's Ronnie. But it's the writing of the scene and it's Ronnie. Yeah. It's just like come on, this is silly. Uh Nancy uh sets her alarm clock. She sets uh she has a little digital watch which were pretty cool in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she goes to bed and says and now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, pray the, the lord, lord my, my soul, soul to, keep. to keep. And
0: if I die
1: There's the top-down shot and the camera pushes in. And we hear, just in case you didn't remember this line about turning your back on a monster to steal its energy in a dream. Yeah. And then Nancy's going downstairs. She goes down to the basement. In the basement, she goes to the furnace. She finds where that, the sack where the glove was. It ain't there. Uh, she finds another door. She goes down more stairs. And now we're down in that boiler room. We hear laughter. We hear voices. We hear whispering. And now she's ready, cause she's ready to do some battle.
0: Yeah. Somebody show yourself, you bastard!
1: That is totally the line that a beginning writer would write. Yeah. That's like, no no human says, show yourself, you bastard. You bastard. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Freddie comes out and attacks, and she uh, falls, and she falls from the boiler room set to the outside of her house. You could totally see the bag that she hits, the fall bag of the stunt <laughs> person hitting it. It just looks terrible. Um, And she yells, where are you, you pervert? And again, she's calling to him. And Freddie comes out of the bushes and she leaps up and grabs him just as the alarm goes off and she wakes up and she's in the bedroom and she has brought him through into the awakening world. And at first she looks up and goes, doesn't see him and thinks she's crazy. And then realizes, no, she's done it. She attacks. She breaks a bottle over his head. We get the booby trap at the door with a sledgehammer, which somehow knocks him down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, she runs down the stairs, breaks a window and's yelling out to that cop. I've got him. I've got him. And the cops going, everything will be okay. <laughs> um, breaks another window, yells some more, and then he finally goes, oh, I guess maybe I should get the lieutenant over here. Mm -hmm. Down in the basement, she grabs a big bottle, breaks it over him, lights it on fire, and we get a really long fire run, which is the main stunt guy, who's gotta weigh 70 pounds more than Robert true. He's a big guy, and he said, I don't know how many movies we've heard this, this is the longest fire run ever filmed. (laughs) We heard it on Braveheart, we've heard it on several movies. I don't know what the real record is again and he, he runs up the stairs falls down the stairs back up the stairs again she's screaming for dad's help dad runs to try to open the door they break down the door um she sends him down to the basement where they see these bloody steps we go he's after mom upstairs we see freddie attacking mom and then saxon smothers the fire with a blanket and takes off the blanket and we just see a desiccated mom body <laughs> fall through a glowing blue bed um And then she's gone, and she's like, so, Dad, now do you believe me? (laughs) Um, John Saxon hugs his daughter, and she says, I'm okay, you go downstairs. And Nancy looks down at the bed, hears a loud noise. The bed starts to smoke as she's looking away. The sheets rise up. Nancy is in the foreground not looking and says, I know you're there, Freddie. I
0: know you're there, Freddie.
1: You think you was going to get away from me? It's too late, Kruger. I know the secret now. This whole thing is just a dream. I want my mother and friend again.
0: What? I take back every bit of energy I gave you.
1: She turns away, grabs the door handle, and he rushes to kill her and disappears. Mom! And suddenly, everything's bright. <laughs> we're outside, we're with mom. And mom said they talk about, you know, how bright it is and oh, I'm feeling better.
0: Oh, I feel like a million bucks. They say you've bottomed out when you can't remember the night before. No, baby, I'm going to stop drinking. I just don't feel like it anymore. <laughs>
1: I just don't feel like it anymore. All of a sudden, this is just ridiculous and intentionally ridiculous, I guess. Right. They say goodbye. She goes out into this white, sort of foggy world, and there is her friends, Tina and Rod, and and Johnny Depp in a convertible. They get in the convertible. Everything seems to be cool, and then we see the convertible top get up, and <laughs> it is green and red, just <laughs> like the sweater. And then the the doors all get locked. Hey, hey I'm not doing this. Run! It I'm not doing
0: Dude, what's this. What's going on with the Wicko.
1: And she's screaming for help from her mom, and we cut back to mom in front of the door, and an arm comes through the door, pulls a mannequin back through the window, and we have reached the end of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, man. Because you can't end a movie with it just being okay. No. Yeah. You got to have some kind of hint that this uh, fight is not over. Apparently, they shot like five different endings. Um, and you can see them all different. Like one is they get in the car and it's Freddy Krueger driving the car. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, there's I've a, there's, seen that one, I uh, think. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's other ones. Yeah. Um, uh, the first cut was terrible, but then, uh, they made a cut that they're really happy with it. They tested a few times. looked yeah. really good. They're about to take it out to the theaters and the people making the prints won't release the prints. Because they haven't been paid. (laughs) Suddenly it was $180,000 more. Holy crap. Movie prints are expensive.
0: No doubt.
1: To get it out. And again, Bob Shea gets the money together at the last minute to release it in the theaters. And it is a huge hit. $1.8 million budget, $25 million in box office. Wow. And of course, spawns a whole thing. Yep. You know, that it goes on and on and on. Multiple
0: installments, reboot. Yep. Even now, and then Freddy versus Jason, which I think is a fun, fun movie, but even now, people are still clamoring for Freddy to come back because yep. he's an iconic villain. And dreams are something that are generational. Like, you'll never need to stop uh, enjoying these films uh, because dreams are so universal.
1: You know? Well, and um, they are. Um completely they they they, they huge opportunities for invention because anything can happen in a dream like there's only so many ways that Michael Myers can walk slowly after you yeah you know what I mean like and and what those movies tend to be about and again I'm not an expert on them but is what original ways can I kill you right but there's so many more things you can do in a dream that are visually interesting and disturbing that I think leads to have all these sequels yeah sure John, do you have final thoughts?
0: Yeah, here's final thoughts. I would say that talking about the film, I enjoyed it more than I remembered. And uh, there are a lot of fun sequences from uh, Wes Craven in the movie. Certainly some good acting performances from Robert England and Heather Langenkamp. And Amanda Wyss is good as well. Um, and I think what you have to enjoy about the movie are the moments within the scenes and what you have to forget about the movie or forgive about the movie is the dated feeling or nature yeah. of it. Certainly, Ronnie Blakely is w- weird as hell in the movie. John Saxon is a is a very incompetent sheriff, I would say, or deputy, whatever he is, of that town. Uh, uh, but overall, I think this all hinges on this idea of, as a teenager, and I think maybe, I don't know if Wes said this, but like... It feels like this is essentially the raging hormones type of thing. You know, you create these ideas, you create these things. Mm. You know, your emotion, you can't control it, right? This idea that you can't control these things. As a teenager, what it can lead to, death, destruction, whatever, what have you. The blood analogy of period, all of that is there. So there's a lot within the film that you could dissect on deeper levels. But overall, it's just a fun 80s film and certainly iconic because it spawns so many uh main studio sequels uh so you have to give it its due in that way and Robert England is still a fantastic Freddy Krueger uh and someone people clamor all the time to to come back and don the claws again uh but yeah that's what I would say I actually found myself enjoying conversing about the film a lot more than I did watching it well that's because we really
1: enjoy each other's company (laughs) And like talking about stuff. Uh, um uh by the way, I should have said a long time ago, from what I've heard, for the moment Robert England got this part, he ate it up. Oh, he's sure. so excited for every so He put a hundred percent into this thing. Yeah. And it shows. Mm-hmm. Um, here's my final thoughts. For those of you who have listened to the show for a while, you know that the, that I really care about craftsmanship, um, hard work, detail-oriented, the things I enjoy in terms of films is the talented people that put the movie together. And one of the things I find right. frustrating about the Hollywood industry is that they tend to value ideas over craftsmanship. So frequently when a movie gets sold, it gets sold not because the script is beautifully crafted, but because the studio sees in it an idea that they think they can make a lot of money on. Right. And then they will fire the writer and fire a writer and have keep rewriting and rewriting until they can turn the movie into something that they can make. Sometimes that's a successful process. Sometimes it's a terrible process processes we see over and over again and I always kind of go if you valued talent and hard work and craftsmanship we would have much better movies in general than we do with this sort of questing after an idea yeah having watched this film after I haven't seen in a long time I kind of like the ideas of this movie are great yes the movie is not that's kind of how I feel. I think it's a good point. And so, like the the idea of the creature that hu- hunts you through your dreams, and how that, and the and the blending of reality and dream, and what is real and what is not real, and what am I creating, and what am I bringing to it, and you know, how does Freddy actually enter into my own mind and see right. my fears and all those things? Those are all fascinating ideas. Many of which are what. We can explore in later films, yeah. And so, what I admire about the film is kind of opening up a new window into ways to scare the crap out of us. And what I and, and I'm not, uh, I don't mean to be critical of Wes Craven because he had 1.8 million dollars and 30 days to shoot a fairly complicated movie, yeah. And I think he's very successful. But do I hold this up as a great film? No, I don't, because it just doesn't have the craftsmanship that I think is necessary. What it has is the spark of the beginning of a whole bunch of other stuff that's going to come later.
0: Yeah, and a universal nature to it all, because we all have nightmares and dreams, as you said
1: earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's what we think of a nightmare on Elm Street. We really would like to hear what you think. Take a visit to our Facebook page. You know what I'm gonna do this time? Let's put up a post with some questions on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. And that we can, you know, because there's some things we would like to discuss. We'd like to hear maybe what is your favorite of the nightmare of Elm Street yeah. movies? Yeah. How do you think these different of the big, bad, you know, Jason and Freddie and Leatherface, Michael Myers? how do they compare to each other? Which which of their things scare you the most? Let's right. we're gonna put some up on Facebook because we'd love love to hear some discussion from you. Of course, you can also watch the show or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, go to YouTube, leave your comments on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Please review leave your reviews on iTunes. If you haven't done it yet and you like the show a lot, we really could use it because it brings us up in the rankings. Yeah. And if you want to support the show or suggest something, as we said before, patreon.com slash the cinephiles. If you want to buy uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street or any film we've ever reviewed, go to cinephiles.net. And if you want to reach me, you can do so on Twitter at John, where can they reach you?
0: Yeah, you can always find me at the Roka says on Twitter and on Instagram. And just to let you guys know, Steve and I have been having some meetings recently, and we are going to make uh, some really positive changes. We feel to the Patreon and the construction of the show that I think a lot of you are going to be incredibly happy about. And uh, uh, we're, we can't thank the people who are going to be helping us enough. But I think we're may take it we're, we're going to be taking these ne- uh, the next few steps very positively to an even better version of the cinephiles. And I hope that excites all of you who listen to us because that's What's great about the show is the evolution of the show uh, and how it's uh, uh, really latched on to so many of you and how much you support us and love the show. I recently read a comment on Facebook about or Twitter about how, God, going back and listening to the older, older episodes, right? Uh, It feels so weird to compare them to now because they were a little bit all over the place. And I would say to you, yeah, because we were still finding what, what this show was. And now that we know what the show is, we want to improve it even more for you all and for us.
1: Absolutely. And so I think that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles.